Welcome to the One Track Mind Podcast. I'm John Miller, and this episode, my guest is the mega-talented, championship-winning racer, one of the top driver coaches in the world, one of my mentors, the fittest man in motorsports, Craig Stanton. This is our first two-parter. In my consistently failed efforts to keep these episodes to about an hour in length, it became clear to me during our conversation that it just made sense to chop this one up into two different parts. In this first episode, we talk about Craig's backstory, how he began his lifelong career in motorsports. He talks about his early days literally sweeping the floors and emptying the trash cans at a race shop, a job that he got after wandering in the door from a job interview at a machine shop across the street. Craig's start in racing came on two wheels in motocross, competing sometimes five days per week, and then in off-road trucks after that before finally jumping into a race car. He talks about what those transitions were like along the way. You'll hear the passion and genuine love for the work in his story. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Follow us on Instagram for photos of guests and show previews at One Track Mind Show. Enjoy part one of the two-part episode with Craig Stanton. One, two, one, two. Unique New York. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> 20 dwarfs took turns doing handstands on the carpet. Wow. That was Buzzy somebody. That's a new one. Yeah, that was that was in a movie. That was, um, what was his, uh, Buzzy, uh, what was his name? Um, anyway, he was a gangster. <laughs> Every time he went to a meeting, he said. That's how he started the meeting. He started, no, actually, he was the drive-in, so he could be articulate. Ah, uh, warmed up. Yeah, warmed up. Warmed up the vocal cords. Yeah, 20 dwarves took turns doing handstands on the carpet. I can't remember anything else <laughs> in life. <laughs> What's your name? Only the important things. Yeah. Right. <laughs> awesome. That's well, funny. Craig Stanton, welcome. Hey. Thanks for coming and sitting down and doing this with me and uh, talking about your career and mm -hmm. your life and kind of how you got here to sitting in my office talking about it. Thank you, John Miller. No, this so. is inspiring to be at your place. I mean, you should have, I should interview you. I mean. I, somebody else tried to do that and I, I shut them down pretty quickly. Yeah. But. <laughs> no, just walking in, you know, this is a great place in Orange and, and there's, you know, you talked about the history of your house and, you know, it, it's inspiring to, to, to know you for many years and then all of a sudden, you know, now you have this amazing life for yourself. You know, you have clients and you have, well, the priority would be is you have an amazing family. Yeah, uh, family is, is and, huge for and the, sure. And the little kiddo running around, and and it's really cool to see you know what you've created for yourself. It's yeah, it's thank inspiring. You. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's, well, I mean, like you said, we've known each other for a long time. Mm -hmm. We drove together ten years ago. Yeah, uh, in, in a Porsche in the GS class, mm -hmm. and um, so uh, yeah. I'm just I'm I'm glad you're here to to sit and chat about it all. Yeah. Yeah, the process is interesting is in the beginning when I was in the club stuff, I went uh, transition from motorcycles to cars. I always wanted to be a pro. I always wanted to make a living. I, I mean, it was I was looking at the end end goal at the end. And my mom just always said, just be careful. This is really yeah. fun now. Have, you know, slow it down. Enjoy the moment because this is, you know, you're around your friends. You're around your family. You're progressing really fast. Just yeah. enjoy this spot. And she was right because oh, that wow. was... That's huge perspective to have. That was probably the most fun... That was the funnest. That's not a <laughs> word. But that was the funnest time actually in motorsports almost. Yeah. It's back in the beginning, you know, sure. where it was, it was um, you know, my brother and I, the first full season raced, um, you know, 49 events. Uh, we were in the car every Friday for practicing. I mean, it was crazy. The oh, full, wow. first full year in a spec racer... Ford now now they that's what they call them they used to call them Spec sports Renault Renaults. Or, yeah yeah sports Renault, sports yeah. Renaults. and I we yeah. found something that would allow us to um, do a solo event a regional event a national event or a pro event and, oh gotcha and that's just because it was versatile enough there was mm -hmm. enough stuff going on with that class oh okay and then is that why do you have enough kind of foresight that that's why you you picked that car yeah that, that class semi ah. uh, it's yeah halfway there it worked out to where. Uh, the door opened up and there was a car available for us to be able to race. Um, gotcha. it, it's a whole long story and it's we, one of those. We've got time. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know, as interesting as I raced nine years in motocross and some supercross in Southern California. So on Wednesday nights, we raced at Ascot. Thursday nights was OCIR, Orange County Raceway. Friday nights was always the Dunes. Saturday at Saddleback and Sunday was wherever the pro races were. 
Oh, you were racing four or five times a week? At least, yeah. And I was doing construction. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And this so, is what, your high school or older or a younger? A little bit older than that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. right out of high school. And so um, there was a lot of racing in Southern California, and that's what we did. We just worked a lot. So when I transitioned into cars, the story goes that I took a year off just to heal myself and chase the girl to Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> And that was really fun. That's a whole other story. It was really cool, actually, living in Hawaii, Kai, and being a waiter. And oh wow! And uh, had you been kind of burnt out of racing because you were doing it so much? A little or? bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was pretty beat up, yeah, I was physically, beat physically, up from yeah, yeah, just needed to heal. Understandable. Yeah, and then I came back, and my brother was involved in an off-road race program. And I said, "Hey, just," and I had a Toyota pickup, and I said, "Hey, let's take some pictures when you're out there at the race, and what's you know what's current." what people are racing, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so there was a picture of a Toyota truck, a race truck, and there was a, there was a number on the side of the door. So when he came back, you know, he said, here, check this out. I called the number, went out and had a meeting with them. And then when I got back home, you know, it was a great meeting. We were going to do some work on the truck. And, you know, they were talking about, they had some off-road race trucks that were going to be sold. And anyway, it was a long story there. But point is, they called me back and said, hey, a lot of the guys in the shop know who you are can you come back tomorrow and have a meeting? And I said, yeah, I will. So it comes to find out, they go, that was Craig Stanton. He won all those championships in the motorcycles. He was, yeah, he was the pro that everybody looked at and has this brand and blah, 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 but over the top fit. And they said, well, we got this sport Renault and it was payment for some work that a client, that's all he could come up with. So he gave him the car. Just gave him the car. Oh, wow. And so, so you go after these guys who are an off-road shop, and they've just got this sports car sitting around that they weren't sure what to do with? They, or had, no, they, just... they had no clue what to do with. Oh, wow. And so they, so, they, um, so they basically said, well, we got 10 races of funding for you. It put you through school, and, and you can do whatever you want with it. You know, it's use it, don't use it, pay for it, whatever. And I'm thinking, 10, 10 races a month? I can do that. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm <laughs> used that... to the volume on the, on, the, on, the, on the motorcycles, right? Right. And they go, no, this is for a year. And I said, well, that's not going to fly. So <laughs> that's not nearly we, enough. Yeah, yeah, we went through, you know, we went through our SCCA school at Riverside, and then then it's like, okay, what's next? Oh yeah, uh, the next school isn't until like November, and this was like in June. It's like <laughs> I'm waiting that long, and the next school was actually uh, that we could go to was Denver that next weekend. So my brother took off work, I took off work, and drove right up to Denver and had the second school the next week to get. So, so you needed to get two my, schools to get your license yeah, to the go time. racing. Yeah. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. And then the next weekend, there was a solo one, which was time trial at Willow Springs. So there was another school there. So within three weeks, we went to three schools and got enough time um, and got enough that I was able to do the next regional the next weekend. Oh, wow. So there's four weekends in a row. And then we ended up started racing like Arizona region, Cal Club region, San Diego region, Northern California region. Um Oregon, I mean, Nevada, all these races. Just looking at the calendar going, yep, we're going to go there. Yep. That that one's next. We're going there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And practiced. Our goal was to practice every Friday as well. Oh, wow. And yeah. so what was the, I mean, was this, was this your first time racing anything with four wheels? Mm-hmm. What, so what was the transition that's, Well, like? that's not true, actually. No? So while I was racing while I was racing motorcycles, I actually was racing some off-road cars as well. Okay. I don't short, talk about short course no, stuff or score. Uh, okay, so score. point to point yeah. type stuff. Okay. I was racing. I was uh, actually as a um, as a mechanic. I started out actually sweeping floors and cleaning bathrooms in an off road race shop in Glendale, California. Oh shit! Yeah, it, that was another story. I was taking some classes, machine shop classes up at Glendale College. He says you you got to go out and get a job. You're just hanging around too much <laughs> here at the at, at school. So I went on two interviews, and you know I. I just wasn't enthused. I wasn't excited. I uh, I walk into these dingy machine shops. You know, there people are smoking and they're just cutting oil on the walls. And I'm thinking, yeah, oh man, this I is walk. not my scene. I turn around and look across the street on the second interview. You know, and I look around and here's this shop. It's like a show shop. And they've got class eight trucks. Um, they've got like. Um, you know, class two, class ones, which at the time it was unlimited single seaters, which is class one and unlimited two seaters, which is class two, Jimmy Connor, mini trucks, they had all these things there. And I was like, lights are all on. The colors are bright. I mean, it's beautiful in there. And there's like 20 guys. So I walk out of the machine shop and I go ro- across the street and I'm looking at everything. And they're just, it's a, it's a huddle of guys. It's a team of guys. And so one of the, one of the, one of the, one of the guys standing there just goes, Hey, 
what are you doing? What, what, can we help you? <laughs> Who are you? Yeah. Yeah. And I just go, I'm, I, I went for an interview across the street. I'm not working there. I would love to work right here. So one guy in the group in the, in the clan, right. In the, in the collective wackiness, you know, how guys get together, you know, it, it, they're just like, well, what can you do? It's like, can you rebuild the motor? It's like, yeah, I, I've, at the time I'm like 19, I've rebuilt motors a lot actually. Uh, and I said, yes, can you rebuild a transmission? And I've rebuilt transmissions before, you know? And it went on, can you do body work? Yeah, I've done body work before. It, it goes on and on and on. Finally, it's like, okay. And I might've said, yeah, you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Guys, as I'm walking out. Whatever you need, I can do it. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and the, um, the foreman comes up and his name is Guy Jones. And he comes up and says, hey, hey, hey. He goes, where are you going? I said, you know, I'm, I'm just going to walk out. He goes, what are you up to? So we chatted for about two minutes. He says, look, we're going to Mexico for the 500. That, that was the team that was going to Mexico. Cause you, so you can imagine. So you just like walked into their team meeting before I did. the Baja 500. And I interrupted it. <laughs> <laughs> and I interrupted it. Yeah, it was pretty funny. And then he goes, okay, we'll be back in a week and a half. Whatever the day was, he, I said, uh, I'll be back on, they'll, they'll be back on a Tuesday in like a week and a half. He goes, show up. I said, well, I have school till 11. And he goes, show up at 11 and we'll get you all set up. So I show up at 11 o'clock. I'm ready to go. And the door fly, I walk in the shop, the door flies open. Where the hell have you been? <laughs> we were here yesterday waiting on you. It's like, wait a second. You told me, he goes, your stuff's in the, you know, your, your, your uniform's in, in the bathroom. And when you, when you change into it, clean the bathroom, sweep the floors and empty out the trash cans. This is a massive, massive shop. And so it was really, really dirty. And so I've, I've got like four hours, right, at this point in time. So I cleaned the bathrooms. I mean, I was, it was spotless. Clean the floors, empty out the trash cans. All of a sudden, it's 5 o'clock. We're all leaving. And he goes, I need to hear tomorrow. And that's how it went. He goes, you're hired. We want you here each and every day. It's like, well, I got school. He goes, well, we'll work around your school. So every day, I cleaned the bathrooms, swept the floor, and, uh, and uh, empty out the trash cans. And oh, if wow. there was time... I would clean bodywork, and huh. I would clean all the trucks. There was like two dualies. There was three three-car trailers. I mean, yeah. just about the time I would get them all clean, they'd go out and test. <laughs> and then you come back, and yeah. then it's another week and a half after I cleaned the bathroom, swept the floor, empty out the trash can. So, so how long did uh, did you hang on? It was about two years. Doing the clean, you're, two years of that? Two years. Wow. Ended up. There she is. Um. Um. Ended up uh, for two years, and it was amazing. Oh, ended wow. up ended up working into a chase program, which is which is following the race vehicles up and down the coast of Baja, or yeah. in Parker, or the Mint Four Hundred, or whatever you know. And so I was, and then ended up driving for them in a couple races. Oh wow! And, then, would, and so this is the same time that you're also racing motorcycles five yeah. times a week. Yeah, I was kind of working kind in of working I, into that. Yeah. As I worked out of it, I kind of worked into the racing okay. racing motorcycles more. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. It was interesting. There was one takeaway where um, I always tell a story. It's pretty interesting. It was where, um, you know, clean the bathrooms, sweep the floors, empty trash cans. And then I could maybe work on maybe change some tires and some of the trucks, whatever, whatever, you know, I could start working on whatever some of the, were, were you some of chase, hand. Yeah, yeah. chase vehicles or I, you know, work on some body work or start to work on the cars or whatever. So it really hustled through those three jobs. And started to clean up. And this was a show shop. People came in, took tours. It was almost oh, like wow. pre-NASCAR, right? Oh, so wow. people, people were invited to come and take tours. And there was a couple of people that were hired just to give tours around the shop. There was two actually great big shops. There was a motor room. There was fab room. There was a machine shop room. There was a, um, a parts, parts area. And then there was a store. Yeah, kind of a shop there. So it was cool. Anyway, so... Um, you know, the hoist, the, um, the foreman always guy always wanted the wings of the, of the, of the hoist in, and there was extensions to be able to extend up to pick up some of these, you know, higher raised trucks. Oh, sure. Yeah. So he says, you always got to put the wings in and then put the extensions down. It's like, yes, sir. This is for, for the this tours. Is, this is, is it, this is for the trucks that came in to change tires. Okay, I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I'm leaving out some of the things. You'll have to yeah. You'll have to pull that out of me. <laughs> I've I got, got years of stuff in my head. Anyway, so as I come running in. This will be know, a nine-hour interview. We'll edit it down to about 30 minutes. Exactly. That's a yeah. good idea, yeah. 
Anyway, so yeah, yeah, it came flying in, and I cut the inside of a sidewall out one day when the wings were out, and it wasn't. So I, I went against his house rules, so to speak. Yeah. And he comes flying out. Was pretty upset. He says, "Don't do it again. I told you not to do it, and you did it. Don't do it again." Well, about two months later, I did it again, and about two days later, for the third time, I did it again. Oh no! And you've actually like popping a tire? Or I you- am. So I just put a hole in the sidewall on, on the inner sidewall of one of the time. Oh, okay. So he basically flies out of his office, slams open the door. Three strikes, huh? Yeah. And I'm, and he's coming at me and he's got a temper about, you know, that like <laughs> Nike you've never seen. He yeah. comes running after me. And so he's going to, he, he chased me down the street, <laughs> said, you never come back, you little bastard. <laughs> and, uh, and I came back the next day. This is a long story leading up to it. I made some mistakes along the way. I wasn't paying attention is, is, is the story, you know. And I came back. I came right back. And he said, you little bastard, I need to talk to you. I'm going to kick your ass like this. And so I went in, went right into the tiger's den. And he sat me down, explained, he explained that he had high hopes for me, that he wanted to trust me that he wanted me to pay attention, that he wanted to know what the next step was. He wanted to know that I knew that. He wanted to make sure that I knew that, I, that he, he knew that I had his back, that I was responsible, that I would show up each and every day on time, that I would say, that I would do what I was going to say I was going to do. And this went on for, I mean, I, he lashed out at me. And this went on for like uh, about an hour and a half. I, I was in tears two or three times. I was shaking. And it was all one of those life lessons that was like, oh, it had to happen. I've got goosebumps right, right now. Oh. Because it was a massive, massive shift. It was a new paradigm for me. That, that it's like, oh, right. I just went along. I was a 19, 18, 19-year-old 19 kid. Thought that I was all that, right? Not engaging, not paying attention, not like looking at the next step. What he would do is he would go, hey, you would call me Leroy. Hey, Leroy. Because <laughs> I had Leroy's outfit on, right, for years. Oh. <laughs> and so he goes, Leroy, I'm welding in like five minutes. Well, I, I got to look around. I mean, we had, we had um, tables everywhere. I got to look around where he's working. Is he running a TIG? Does he need, like, does he need the arc welder? Does he need the, the MIG welder? Does he need to, to, to turn on all the gas? Does he need to plug in all the welders? Does he need to sharpen the tungsten? Is there material that he needs? I mean, I need to think of the next step. For sure. all this stuff, and I wasn't doing it. Yeah. And so it goes, How do, can I trust you with a half million dollar chase vehicle with all the spares and everything, not to roll it, not to get lost, not to get stuck down in Mexico, to be able to meet my drivers and my trucks there or buggies or whatever? And, and, and I know that if I'm an Ensenada, you're going to be at Ojos or something or San Felipe or whatever it is or Scorpion Bay or whatever to be able to service these vehicles. It yeah. was a huge paradigm shift. And, and this, is, this is at the point where you, you were wanting to do that but hadn't been given that opportunity yet because he's kind of waiting for you to, yeah. switch to on. get it. Yeah, switch yeah. on. Yeah. And it was, a, it was an instant shift. It was an instant light, you know, like the earth shook Yeah. when I got it. And right then I came out, you know, and I, it, was, it was crazy. It was a very emotional time for me. And I was able to like pull my – and I remember one of the guys there just goes – well, you got your marching orders. You better stand on the gas, dude. Yeah. And I've never stopped. I've never, ever stopped. Yeah. yeah. Copy that. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, so let's fast forward again back to the sports Renault yeah. days. Cause now, so now you've, you've got some off-road experience. You've been racing bikes five, six times a week for yeah. what? Nine years. A you long said? time. Yeah, a long, long time. time. Won a bunch of championships on motorcycles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now you, you're racing sports cars. Yes. Uh, on racetracks, paved racetracks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was that? transition like i mean it was, you figured out pretty quickly really quickly yeah, yeah. okay it, really quickly it was like um i think jeff ward figured it out pretty quick as well yeah. so and some other people have not yeah i think it's i think it's it's um i learned early on how to learn and i learned early on how to watch other people and learn what they're doing and watch uh-huh. the right people and mimic what they're doing and not watching the wrong people, not having the wrong, I mean, not always having the right frame of mind to learn, to grow, to take in the right information and to be patient because we all learn at a different rate. And we start pushing that rate and we get into trouble. 
Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I learned early on, my dad and, and, uh, mom were skiers and we learned how to ski when we were like, I think we were six and eight. We, we yeah. get 40, 60, 70 days and lived in Glendale because there was uh, up in Angeles Crest, there's two resorts there. We always yeah. go, we go on four or five trips a year. And so we skied a lot. And then, and in so, the, so in, with, you know, with skiing, with a lot of people who don't ski, what they may not understand is you learn vision, you learn, you learn weight. Weight transfer. Absolutely. Yeah. You can feel the grip of the edges mm-hmm. digging mm-hmm. into the snow. Mm-hmm. And so that stuff, you may not, on the surface, it may not think skiing and racing, there's maybe not a whole lot of crossover, yeah. uh, you know, on the surface. But when you start to boil it down, um, yeah. I mean, I've got a guy that I that I coached a little bit uh, last year when he was first doing some testing. Um, and then he's been racing for our challenge this yeah. year. And he's a guy who has zero race experience. Yeah. But he's been a competitive skier his whole life. Yeah. And he has come on board quickly, incredibly quickly. Because uh, he knows how to learn. He knows that the vision skills are huge. And then the weight transfer. Yeah. And then he's, he's, in, he's in contact and he understands his whole body. Yeah. Most people are, aren't in contact with their limbs, you know. And so the first time somebody's been in an office for 40 years and all of a sudden they decide to sell a business and buy a GT3, right? It's a yeah. whole different mindset because, you know, all of a sudden now you have vision skills and they come to us and you know this for a fact. They come to us on a, on a race weekend, you know, uh, they're in, they've been indoors for weeks. They're on a computer. Right. Their, their peripheral vision is about the size of a baseball, right? And yeah. it takes about a day and a half. And the first day and a half is always frustrating for these guys, right? And all of a sudden they start clicking somewhere right. around Friday afternoon. All of a sudden now they're waking up. Now they're now, you know, they're they're It's death defying for those guys because they're going faster than their eyes are allowing them to go. So that's absolutely, that's the anxiety that they feel. So slowing them down a little bit, letting them, you know, incorporate that vision. And I always tell my clients, go out and have lunch on a Tuesday before you get on that plane and go outside and have lunch and, and, and look a quarter mile away. Look at that palm tree a quarter mile. Look at that wall right there. Look at that power line all the way down there yeah. and start working getting your eyes open taking more in and set the intention that you're going to start opening that peripheral vision because when we get stressed and we get like you know all in our heads um we just all of a sudden we just get closed in yeah super interesting to watch how humans evolve from a from a normal like um you know from a desk riding or somebody that's you know just a normal civilian to a race car human yeah yeah, there is a transition that needs to happen, and most of my clients now are getting them to like really start on a Tuesday or a Monday, and making that transition a lot easier. So their first day is a lot more productive. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I, I was just thinking about something you'd said earlier, um, back when we were talking about kind of your your mentality um, on when you were racing motorcycles and winning these championships mm-hmm. and having all this fun. But you said, you know, the goal was always I want to do this professionally. I want to make my living mm-hmm. racing. Yeah. And so, so now you've done some off-road, um, truck stuff. Yeah. You've been racing motorcycles for a while. Now yeah. you're into racing cars. Yeah. Was that, you're still the mentality of this is my career. I'm going to do this. I'm going to drive professionally. Yeah. And so, so what's your focus now that you've, you've had this moment where you've kind of had your, your focus reframed in a way early on with, yeah. with your, your boss at the off-road shop. Yeah. And now, I mean, have you kind of applied that? To everything. everywhere, everywhere. How did you aim? Oh yeah, get yourself at that point. Where, you know, you talk about looking uh, long term, looking to the future, planning for a, a career. Yeah, you, know, you talk. A lot of guys think I, I want to win races, I want to win championships, mm-hmm. and and the thought that I've always had is I want to have a career. Yeah, I want to win races and championships, but you know, I want to be doing this for a very long time mm-hmm. and, and earning a living at it. Yeah, and so that's that's kind of the 30,000 foot yeah. goal. How do you stay focused on that while you're, you're also, it was really interesting is, is I thought I had a leg up because I knew how to pit. I knew how to prep a car, a prep a motorcycle. I knew how, how to, um, so you didn't look at it as starting from zero. You no. looked at it as I'm just, this is just, just a new, new kind of thing. Right. In fact, I thought I, I apply. All I always thought that I had an advantage. Cause I knew where I could find grip on a flat skatey track. I knew where I, you know, there's a berm there. I knew that, how to balance, how to weight transfer, how to do all these things. And it was, it was, it was a huge leg up I felt because it was, and also too is the mindset of, of sitting in endurance, going after it, waiting for the last four laps to, you know, conserve myself. 
I knew how to train. I knew how to eat. Now that all evolves yeah. as as we do as a society, but back then I was over the top fit. Well, I mean, that's a good transition. I mean, that's kind of one of the things I want to bring up. You, I mean, you're known as the mm. fittest guy in motorsports. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that, there's some really fit guys right now. There, sure, there yeah. are. But but you and you kind of set the standard. I did, and I feel grateful for that. I and that's I, awesome. I didn't do that intentionally. I did it for my self confidence. Right. Well, you talk about having an advantage, and you felt yeah. like that. That was another one of the advantages. My, that, that was my move. That you could control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a lot that I couldn't control. That's a really good point there, John. John Miller. Good job. <laughs> I couldn't control a lot because right. I didn't have a dime. I mean, I, the, my parents were awesome. They gave me a lot of great opportunities, but they don't have $12 million sitting around ready to right. you know, spend in our, our direction, my brothers and I direction. And so um, you, you know, I knew that I, knew that I, I needed a brand. And I knew that the nice guys always win because I was always a nice guy. And I always wanted to be a nice guy. I always wanted to give back. I always wanted to figure out what the culture was and then, and then, and then duplicate that and then maybe shift it a little bit for my own personal mm-hmm. you know, advantage. So I understood how people race to sport Renault. I understand I went on to racing um, a little bit of stock cars and open wheel cars. Um, I, the, the the third fourth year I think we were racing um, SSGT cars for uh, for uh, uh, SCCA so it was a Camaro factory program and then it was uh, and then it was a Formula Moss I think they called Star Moss back then mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then it was a USAC Midget so I raced all in one year oh wow so so I I I was trying to duplicate what worked you know in three different cultures. And then next thing I know, I'm, you know, I'm succeeding in two or three of those. And it's all track time. It's all working with amazing people. I asked to work with amazing people and they just came around. So I asked what, and I set my intention, what I wanted. I want to work around amazing people. I want great equipment. I want to have doors open. I want to walk right through them. I want to have all these things that allow me to have a place in this, in this arena. And so, so what do you attribute those opportunities to, I mean, a lot of people want those things. I mean, you know, Mm. some people, like you said, can buy the opportunities, but you know, what do you, what do you think made the difference that, that opened Mm. up a lot of those doors for you? Was it, It was was it luck or was it more than that? So when my brother and I started, he was my crew chief and he's awesome. He is actually, he is a a crafty guy. It's like, how do you know all that stuff? It's like, we grew up in the same house, (laughs) went to the same school. Right. It's like, wow, how do you, how do you know all that stuff? And, you know, now he's a pyrotechnician in the studios and he is an awesome dad. And, and, you know, he is a crafty, if you need to like take this house and blow it up and turn it upside down and, you know, he would know how to do that and then take oh, two wow. or three takes. I don't know. Yeah. He's worked on many, many, most of the movies that we see in the world. He oh, wow. gets to. And so you, you guys started racing bikes together and no, cars together? Pretty much just no? sport Renaults. Okay. Oh, gotcha. I said, this is what we need to do. And so he, he had a machine shop job that would allow him to take Fridays off. So he would work on Thursdays all day long. And then I'd have, I'd have the transporter. I mean, what transport? We had a trailer and a camper, right? So it was all ready to go. It was all stocked with food. It was all clean. It was, you know, all gassed up. And so he'd come home, take a shower and I'd have his, I think at Mountain Dew right there. And he'd drive to Phoenix. He's like a, <laughs> he's like a savant, you know, I don't know how he does that, you know? And then he'd, we'd work all weekend and drive back. Um, I got off the rails here a second. Oh, yeah. So the question mm-hmm. was, oh, I know. People saw us for three years every Friday run in the car somewhere. And there was a yeah. core group of people like Mitch Ryder. There was, uh, there was a Honda crew that was testing as well that seemed like we were always running into them. Yeah. And I was just pounding laps, lap after lap doing, after lap. Doing the work. Doing the work, doing the inner work, just doing it day yeah. after day after day. I'd work construction, you know, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then at night I'd be prepping cars. And, you know, I, I ran around for years. This was like four hours of sleep. Yeah, just because it was, that was my thing. You know? Yeah. I wasn't, I wanted to pick something that I wanted to pick a, I wanted to have enough money that I could run a lot. I didn't want to have a $20,000 test. I wanted to be able to run a car for $500 a weekend right. or a day you know, and do a lot of it. Gotcha. You know what I mean? So, because every time you're in the car, you learn. Yep. 
I mean, doesn't, does me no good if I'm, I didn't do me any good anyway to be in a car four days a year. It was better to be in a car like four days a week. Yeah, even if it was slow, even if there was no arrow, even if there was no power, even if there was no tire, it was important for me to just be so comfortable and dialed in like I was in the bike. Yeah. 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 So that it was those, a second nature. Yeah, that, exactly. Second nature. Well, the, you just took the words out of my mouth. Yeah, because those those skills, the, mm-hmm. the vision, the weight transfer, yeah. the, the feel for all that, yeah. um, if you're not in the seat, if you're not doing it, Mm-mm. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much you've done it in the past. That It starts to degrade. You start yeah. to lose a little bit, and then yeah. you have to find it again yeah. when you get back in the car. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think there's a lot of value mm-hmm. uh, in that mentality. So, so how did you get then from busting your ass all week long to pay for the, the regional weekend, to spend as much time in the car as you can. Where does it start to turn the corner uh, for you in terms of now your people are coming after you? Ah, uh, that's Craig, a really... Craig, come drive my car. I'm, yeah. Or I'm going to... Craig, you know, quit quit working so hard during the week. I'm going to pay you to mm. come do this. Or, or you know, did coaching... I mean, you know, nowadays, so many of, of us who do this, you know, the, the driving thing, yep. you know, the coaching thing is a, a massive part of our, yes, it our is. business. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they really go hand in hand, the driving yep. and coaching. Was that always the case? No. Okay. Really what it was is meeting, uh, I just loved it. I loved every part of it and I loved being around it. And so I just met people. Yeah. I met people that, um, like it started out with three hour Enduros at SECA. And then it was like, you know, I'd show up with some really nice equipment at like Ventura County Fairground in the midget. And people go, that's really great. I've got a, I've got a pavement program that you can be involved with. Or, or there's an SSGT program. It's a Camaro deal that opened the doors for Chevrolet a little bit. It was just, I, I met people, you know, it was with the Chevrolet deal. A guy named Tom Mezzarandino was the owner of the car. I prepped it for the nationals, not for the regionals for him. And I ran the nationals. Gotcha. So there's a lot of deals like that 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 uh, that worked out for me that was able to bring other people in, and he actually sponsored me pretty uh, pretty extensively for a few years. Allowed me to maybe not leave my construction job, but really you know be able to um, have some good equipment. Yeah, um, Mike Mezzardino now is like a four or five time national champion in spec racing yeah, Ford, of Ford right? up at and he's a general manager up at Benwell. Uh, Benwell, yeah, he's awesome. <laughs> yeah, he so is. there's a lineage there, right? There's yeah, for all sure. The in, all the information that came from me uh, to me was from a guy named Mark Wyberney, which was in San Diego. Then it went to Tim Boot, that was um, that was uh, out in Chatsworth, and then all that information went to me, and then I passed all that information on to the Mezzardinos. And then, and then on to Mike. It's a small world. It's a small world, right? <laughs> yeah. It's a very small world. Yeah. So I think it's just networking. And I didn't even know I was networking. It was just being out there You're all the time. The, just there, yeah. the magic happens at the track. It doesn't happen like sometimes. Now, it, you can do work here, but it's really getting at the track yeah. and getting out there and understanding how people work and how, how, it, how it all flows. And Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I can look back to a couple of years ago um, going to the Daytona uh, test days in early January, mm. you know, the, the Mag- roar. Those are magic. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and it's, you know, you look around and I think, I feel like nowadays, and maybe this is just my perspective and maybe I'm wrong, but you know, nowadays I don't feel like there's as many guys pounding the pavement, so to speak, showing up without a ride yeah. or showing up when there's not a whole lot to do. And cause that's as a driver, you know, as somebody who works at the racetrack and who loves being at the racetrack, it's still to show up without a role, without Hey, I've got, I've got something to do this weekend hard without having that. That's very hard to show up. And, and, but I can look back to a few years ago, um, multiple times actually at that specific event, thinking back to meetings or people I've bumped into at yeah. that event yeah. and going, if I hadn't have been there, yeah. if I hadn't seen that guy For sure. and just said, Oh, Hey, what are you doing later this year? Or, Hey, can you fill in at this event, which yeah. led to this, which led, to, I mean, it's like, like you said, the magic happens at, at the track. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's one of the hardest things as somebody who's, who's trying to drive at the pro level and, and keep it going and, and open up new doors and, and new opportunities. And, um, but, but it's just funny that I, I can look back and, and mm. I think I'm sure you have those same kinds of things. It's like, if you hadn't been there, yeah. seen that person, yeah. um, and had that relationship, then, you know, the, the next piece might not have fallen into place. Yeah. People go, Oh, I want to be in a GT program, but I don't have a ride. It's better to go find a, a, a GS program or an ST program. Right. Yeah. And then able to do, you've got a reason to be there 
and right. now you can go wander around. It, it seems like you walk a little bit taller step. You have a purpose. You know, it's like, I've got another session. I like to talk to you about, you know, Sebring or Daytona or, you know, some of the other events that are coming up like Petite or the six hour or whatever. Right. So you have a purpose. I always like doing that. And sometimes you just got to suck it up and just go do it. Yeah. And, and I, I would never show up to Daytona for the roar without like already talking to people. Sure. You plant the seeds. Yeah. Already talking to people. And really yeah. now it's, now it's a whole different, it's a whole different. In fact, it seems like every six months now it's like taking a giant leap forward, you know, in motorsports. And I'm not, I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure where it's going except it's so expensive. You know, where, so, where, so much money. where I made a living for so many years in GS and, and GT, you know, now of a sudden the budgets are, you know, so high with the 24 hour and the 12 hours of Sebring and you have like the six hours at the Glen and then you have Petite and then all the other sprint races in between. It's a massive budget for a GT yeah. program. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, you know, the last, uh, it was two, it was two and a half years ago. I had about a 500 grand in sponsorship and I ended up giving it to another team going, I'll take. I'll take 10% and you know, I'll take 10% and it wasn't enough for anything. Right. Ugh. You know, it's crazy. It's like, you know, Oh, well we'll get you in the four endurance races. It's like, uh, it's like that's not, I'm enough. not going to chase a career down the hill. Yeah. 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 That's, that's crazy that, I mean, well, it goes back to what you were saying earlier about wanting to be or needing to be really in a car more than just yeah. a few times a year. Right. And the fact that half a million bucks gets you maybe four races, not even four races. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, and then, and then it's, it's also about, I mean, I think, you know, once you start to do these kinds of things and you've got a name and you've got a brand mm -hmm. and a career, mm -hmm. you don't just take any opportunity. Yeah. Now you start having to be a little selective yes. about things. Yes. Um, and so that's, that's a good point that, that, you know, you may have been able to, to get a ride with that amount of sponsorship, but is it the ride that you want? Yeah. Is it the ride that's going to showcase your abilities yeah. and, and your name and, and do well for right. your sponsors? Yeah. For so many years, you know, having a large volume. So my goal for, I don't know, from like, I would say, uh, 97 to 2012, I was in the car five days a week. So I would do simulator work. I would do karting. I would test, I would coach or I would race. Yeah. And so that was for all those years. So it was just a massive amount of volume so that I can show up and be at my A plus plus game each and every moment. Yeah. Without a doubt. No yeah. question. And that's full 110%. Like you said, stand on the gas and, mm -hmm. and never lift. Yeah. Fourth lap is your quickest and, and then you're just consistent the rest of the weekend. Yep. Yeah. Um, I mean, there were so many other, I mean, we, I raced stock cars, I raced midgets, there were it, more open wheel cars. It went on and on and on. And then somewhere around 95 started exclusively. Um, there was a time there where I managed and was a, a test driver for a, a Pontiac Trans Am team up mm -hmm. in Ventura. So I ran the back shop and I did all the testing. That was really cool. Learned a lot about running a shop, learned a lot about, um, engineering and, uh, and, and, uh, managing and. Wearing all the hats, all the hats, yeah. and then also getting in the car, and it, and it was it was a couple of years. My career, my driving career, might have gotten stalled out, and um, I how learned, so? Um, just because you weren't racing was, as much, exactly. Ah. I was just doing all the testing. But this was ninety five. You said no. This was like ninety three, ninety four. I think. But okay, but so some of your biggest drives and biggest championships mm -hmm. came after that. Yeah, in the late nineties, early two exactly. thousands. Yeah, I just changed so. my, and I look back on that two years of being in the shop, was a massive, massive advantage in terms of working because I went on to be a test driver for you know uh, Hoosier and Continental and Pirelli, and some Porsche and other teams and. After you know, after fifteen laps, I can do the same next. I can do the same laps for four days. Yeah. And not get tired. If we're doing a tire test and we're looking at nine, nine to ten sets of tires and then doing three long runs after lunch, I have no problem with that for two or three days. Hmm. So um, I know how to regenerate myself and all the electrolytes and all the aminos and all the, you know, all, yeah, the, so all, the, all about, the stuff. Yeah, talk about some of that kind of stuff. I mean, cause, because that's something that you you have always been big on you know the fitness mm -hmm. the the diet the replenishing but it, does it take a little while for you to or did it take you a while to figure out what your body needed and, yeah. and how you you know how much 
uh, yeah. electrolyte or how much water yeah. you need to take yeah. in. I mean, uh-huh. because that's a that's an evolving process. Like you talk about, kind of the the idea of nutrition and and what we understand and know about nutrition kind yeah. of evolves as mm-hmm. you know science and and those fields um, evolve over yeah. over time. So have you adapted your mm-hmm. your approach and your um, intake and yeah. uh, based on that? Because I, I think you know what I remember that kind of maybe famously is that your training. Uh, regime for uh, a 24-hour race mm-hmm. was you know you would you know literally train you know map out your stints okay if yeah. i'm going to be in the car for two hours at this time you know for the uh, I don't, maybe you can you know, shed yeah. some light on it but what was your training regime like for a 24-hour race because it's, it's pretty intense most of the time i try to do the 25-hour because the 25-hour and i had always put in a lot of, of lot thunder of hill hours. thunder hill yeah. yeah the 25-hour at thunder hill was always kind of a my clients would always get a taste of what it's like doing a 24, 25 hour race. So I'd always try to aim for a Porsche ride in the 25 hours at Thunder Hill. It's a NASA event. It's a semi-pro amateur event. And it's evolved over the years to something that's quite... Pretty big now, yeah. Quite an event, yeah. And so, and then that was a, that was a pre-run for me for the 24 hours at Daytona. Right. Because Thunder Hill is always in December and Daytona is in January. So that that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so what it was is before the 25 hour, I would do a mock, mock test run. And what I would do is I would on paper have a schedule. So so from seven events, which would be rowing or running sand and stairs, which is another running event, biking, uh, circuit training, simulator, whatever out of these all events, I would pick different events for 24 hours. And so, you know, I would start out at 3.30 in the afternoon, right, when the race starts, right? And I would do a two-hour bike ride. And I'd come back, and I'd have three hours off. So so I could do a two-hour bike ride, and it wasn't just putting out max effort. It was just getting through it to come back and understand that, oh, wow, I need to have a plan for those three hours. Because I need to, I, I need to have my recovery drink, and then I need to... I need to, um, you know, uh, to eat yeah. and then I need to have a massage or, you know, chiropractor adjustment and then I need to sleep. Yeah. Wind down mentally. Exactly. Even if we're just laying there and relax doing breath work or whatever. And then an hour, hour to go at two hour mark, you know, that now all of a sudden you're on deck and now you're I'm getting a rocket fuel going. I'm maybe on my spin bike just a little bit and now I'm going to go for a two hour jog and then it's three hours off. And that's the same thing. The massage masseuse comes in. Maybe there's a chiropractor that comes by, but I've got to have my recovery and eat and then, and then have my downtime. Yeah. So I would do that for 24 hours. And the idea was not so much for the effort. Yeah. It's cool. Getting your brain working and getting your knowing that it's all about getting your body used to going, Oh, he's, he's getting warmed up for 24 hour or, right. or he's getting warmed up for a race. We've done this before. We can We've, do this again. Exactly. Cause your body has yeah. a memory. Oh, and yeah. it wants to just, it doesn't want to just jump in and be shocked, right? So I would do that for 24 hours because what, what, what I found on a couple 24 hour races is I'd get out of the car and it'd be all jacked up, right? On, on, yeah. on adrenaline. And I told, talk to everybody and high five and look at tires and talk to, you know, talk to, um, talk to somebody. Next thing I know, it's an hour and a half, two hours. And then, yeah. and then all of a sudden I got to be on deck um, because, because uh, everybody, put me through you know a fair amount of time in the car right sure and so <laughs> and so it was like oh my gosh i haven't i haven't recovered my suit's still wet i haven't eaten oh yeah and now i'm in trouble right yeah and so joy my ex-wife was amazing at this because it was like you got five minutes to, to talk and hug and do whatever you got to do over here and then you have to yeah and she would give you my recovery drink and then it was like here's some food in the golf cart going to the, the uh the motorhome and a lot of times people go, oh, we got a motorhome. Well, that's, that's French for, oh, we got a par- place to party, right? <laughs> and so right. I'd, I'd always, you know, I always have, um, I'd always have, uh, you know, the chiropractor around and then I would always sleep up on top of the transporter, you know, up on, up on the, up on the upper deck mm-hmm. and I'd have a radio there and it'd just be a, a it seemed like a quiet place for me. Hmm. So I'd always sleep up there because very, very seldom was, you know, was it quiet enough in a motorhome? No kidding. The Daytona, yeah. yeah. So, I'd always so, so this prep, uh, this twenty-four hour workout prep that you would go through, you'd go through what a week before, a couple of days before. Yeah, I'd have a, a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks. Before. Yeah, a yeah. couple of weeks, maybe. Yeah, <clears throat> week and a half, something like that, so I could kind of recover. My whole thing was that I worked really hard in between races, so that I actually came to the races 
recovering and fully recovered. For right. most people, it would be, oh, yeah, I got on a treadmill, you know, yesterday. and <laughs> Or I was on a stair climber, you know, for 20 minutes. It's like, wow, your body has no clue what it's about to do. Your right. body, like, never, it's not, you're not duplicating what you're doing in a car on a, stre- on a, on a, on a stair climber. Right. You know what I mean? Your, your, your workout is tailored to shoulders, you know, forearms, abs, y- your whole core, lower back. You know, it's, it's, tailored. it's tailored to being a race car driver. Yeah. And then you're adapting. Somebody like Tony Stewart who's in the car, you know, those guys, they, they didn't work out much, but they just heard body adapted to be race car drivers. Right. Yeah, because, I mean, they're doing the, the Craig Stanton early career thing of being in the car. A lot. Four or five times a week. Yeah. I mean, these are the guys who bounce back and forth from their NASCAR to their sprint car on the same night. Exactly. They'll start getting on their plane and start running yeah. events in the evening. Yeah. Which I think is cool. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I like, I like doing a lot of volume. Always have. Always have. Yeah. Copy that. Yeah. So, so let's fast forward a little bit to talk about the, the Grand Am days, or at least the early Grand Am days. Yeah. We should were... talk about John T.C. We should, in fact, <laughs> we it, should. It, it would be fun to have John T.C. and I right here. We should. We should. That, that's the next step. <laughs> we're just having multiple guests. That would be. But, but I can control one guest <laughs> to a certain degree. I can control the conversation. I don't know if yeah. John T.C., if, if I could even control him um, as a solo guest, but he'd be a great one to talk to. He would be, he'd, he'd be awesome. Yeah. yeah. But, but prior to the BGB days, when, when you and I drove together in 2008, which was, um, you know, awesome program and, and John, uh, John TC and John Moore yeah. and that whole deal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a shame that BGB is only racing, um, sporadically at the pro pro level anymore yeah. because the way they went about it and the results that they achieved yeah. were phenomenal. Um, it was a great, great program to be a, be a part of. I learned a lot. That was in kind of my yep. early GS days, but, but before that in, in Oh four, you won a GS championship, right? Yes. And then in Oh five, you won a GT championship. I did. Right. Yeah. So talk, talk about that time a little bit. Those were kind of big, big deals. Yeah. Those are, those are really big deals. Um, my teammate was uh, David Murray. Yeah. You and drove with David a bunch. A lot. You? Yeah. So even with Osco, we uh, drove um, in GT. We, we drove in, um, in IMSA with uh, Dale White and uh, Peterson White Lightning together. Mm-hmm. And then with Nonamaker. And uh, it, was, it, was really, it was really a fun time. He's, he, like you, you and I had this amazing connection. And he and I did too. It was interesting. We had the same seat, the same belt the same window net, the same adjustment for the window net, the same latch for the window net, same, same steering wheel, same shifters, you know, so all, so it was like, wait, what car are we in? You know? (laughs) And he was amazing. A lot like you is that, is that he would start the setup and I would finish it or I would start the setup and he'd finish it or he'd start the races and I'd, uh, it was, it's almost like, yeah, it was, it was, um, it was amazing. We'd always work together like you and I, like, um, it's like, wow, how the hell did you do that? That three tenths quicker than, you know, I, well, um, and then he would tell me and I'd go out and do it and I'd be, so we just worked right. together. We'd help each other, push each other and help each it, other. Yeah. It, it was such, there was no ego. The ego was, um, to support each other and to support yeah. the team. That was, that was in full, full commitment. So you, how long did you guys drive together? How many? Like three years, three years. Yeah. yeah three, so was that four years plus. Was that something where you guys kind of came together, um, you know, serendipity put you guys together mm-hmm. and then you mm-hmm. guys both worked to stay together. Yeah. So we drove at Peterson white lightning. Right. And then we drove at Osco and, um, I'm trying to figure out, wow, too many concussions. I'm trying to figure out, uh, when, when, when the moment, oh, of course, riser Callis, Tony Callis, who you met just last yeah. Monday out, yeah, at, yeah. out at the streets of Willow. Yeah. Yeah. Tony Callis put us together. Ah, okay. Uh, yeah, Tony he was, was the first one that, that brought you guys together. Yeah. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And then we continued on. Yeah, we, we fell in love with each other, and I fell in love with his family, and kind of like, what happened with you? Oh. And it was cool. Um, it was a, a great experience. He was a factory driver for a while at Porsche, mm-hmm. and then um, and then when Patrick Long came along, along he, he took over uh, David's spot. Gotcha. And then... Um, and then he went on and he was a, you know, it was interesting to watch him evolve as a driver as well. He was just so steady Eddie and it was a, uh, it was a good relationship. And now I get to coach his son, Dylan. Oh, nice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's with BGB now. He is. Right. Yeah. Full circle. Dylan's, Dylan's, uh, he's a great young man. He's focused. He's, um, I work with him on fitness and nutrition and, um, he is, 
you know, he stands on the gas and he's in, you know, he's one of the up and coming stars and, you know, he awesome. has it, he's doing the whole social net, you know, media stuff and he's got a good brand for himself Yeah, and he's doing it. That, that's part of building your brand these days. Right, 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 right. Yeah. You gotta that's, have social media. You gotta have a podcast. You gotta have a podcast. <laughs> this is awesome by the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, so, so let's, the the Tony Callis program. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that because that, I remember Tony actually told a story about bringing you into that program or about how you got involved yeah. um, at the time. And so, so Tony was racing Porsches. Was this, this is IMSA, the GT cars? So, GT3s? Yeah. So how do you, it's, there's so many stories within a story. I was a lead driver and managing a, a, a Nissan Motorola cup team. Okay. We were out at Willow testing. Tony was up there with Johnny Mullum and David Murray testing their GT cars, getting ready for, I believe, the Roar. Yeah. And so up at Willow... This Will is what, early 2000s? Man, no, I, it's 98. 90, okay. It's like 98. And um, and so Mark Weber, who was one of the drivers in the in the Motorola Cup team, the Nissan team... Not was Formula one, one, Mark Weber. Not, no. Not that one. No, yeah. he's... Yeah, no, he's not. I was gonna say, <laughs> no, I can edit if you want to. If you want to be mean, if you want to be mean now and then edit it out later. <laughs> yeah, he ended up to be one of my sponsors for quite a few years. Mark is Copy. a great we won't, guy. We won't be mean to Mark. Yeah, no, no, he's a great guy and a good friend. Really, really good friend. Anyway, he went up to Tony and goes, "Hey, I got ten grand that says that my driver sitting in that Nissan's can beat your drivers in like three laps." <laughs> and so you know, I'm buzzing around out there, you know, and I come in and got the engineers from Nissan there and, and Mark Weber goes, Hey, you're going to get in that car over there. and You're going to go faster than those drivers. I look over there. It's like, Holy shit. That's David Murray and Johnny Mullen, who is the fastest Porsche drivers in the planet at the time. Right. And it's like, Oh man, look what you've done. He goes, I don't care. You're getting that hard and haul ass. Aren't you? You know? And so, uh, I went up to Tony and said, wait, wait, hang on a second. I said, um, I said, let's not do that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's do something different. I said, I would love to drive with you. I've been watching them all day, right? Yeah. yeah. Run around these beautiful, beautiful RSRs, and they're all the narrow body cars, and they're ready to do Daytona and then put the wider bodies on them for the rest of the ah. year, right? And so um, they, uh, they just had, they had, one, had one car at the time, and they ran, went and run Daytona. Well, I saw them again up at Willow, and now they've got two cars because the, the rental driver – and the owner never got, hardly got in the car at Daytona. You know how that goes, mm -hmm. right? The two pros are mm -hmm. managing most of the time. Right. So uh, they decided to get into the car. Mm. And so they said, I said, I would love to get in that. You know, if you need another driver, I'm ready to go to Sebring. Well, they called a couple of days there and said, yeah, we would love you to go to Sebring. I mean, last minute. Oh, wow. I had, you hadn't even tested with them at this point. Are you, are you no, had? No, I, you hadn't. I, no, no, no. And so I went down there and... Uh, I went down, and that's when Sebring was like a, a week before the week of Sebring. I mean, it was the Enduro down there. I was down oh, there right. for weeks. Anyway, and um, that's a long story, too. Anyway, ended up third on that race. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was – and the lead car, uh, their car, was so stiff at the time on the 993s, were so stiff that uh, that um, – that uh, they had some failures, axle failures okay. and bodywork failures and all sorts of stuff. And I just soldiered along and ended up third with uh, with Joel and uh, Grady Willingham. And I drove probably nine hours. <laughs> <laughs> At least. But like you said, you were ready to. You I was ready to. This. I was prepped So when the was, opportunity, there's a lesson here, is when the yes, opportunity comes I along. Yes, coming. Yeah. When the opportunity comes along, you're not jumping on the stair climber for 20 minutes to prep for Sebring. You're already ready to capitalize on the opportunity when I am it presents beyond, yourself. I was beyond ready. Right. Yeah, I was beyond ready. I was so ready that it was it was like second nature. Right. So I didn't have to worry about I didn't have to worry about eating. I didn't have to worry about um you know recovery. I didn't have to worry about uh vision skills. I didn't have to worry about, you know, anything except because adapting. You're, you're living that already. I already lived it. Yeah. I've already that's part of my DNA, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that was really interesting. Um, yeah, good luck, bad luck. We ended up in the second car, which ended up third on the race. That yeah. was it. Was really cool. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, and then, and then Mark Weber actually was supplying them money. So they so it was a, it was a small fee. I think it was like four grand or something. So this is the guy who who went up to them said at the, hey, at the initial test. My driver is quicker than your driver. Yeah, yeah, and I got ten grand to prove it. No, and so <laughs> so Mark was paying, and then uh, it, then somewhere along. 
you know, somewhere along, like I would say third or fourth race, they said, we're going to give you the money back. There's, oh, wow. there's no way, you know, you're not going to give us money. We're going to start paying you. Awesome. That was a big freaking moment. That was Tony Callis. Yeah. Yeah. Gave me that opportunity. And then was a, was hit one of his drivers for the next three years. Oh, that's awesome. It was really cool. There was a transition there where uh, one year I spent about 30 grand getting on planes, my own, my own dime going and running a car here. Somebody says, Oh, well let you hop in this car. Yeah. Even if it was for an hour, I'd drive to mid Ohio or something. Yeah. You know, and just run for an hour and be around the team all day and then come back. Yeah. I remember I used to drive up to, uh, um, up to Sears about once a week and, uh, it was Sears point, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Old school. And, um, just test one or two, uh, star Mazda cars just, just, go, just to, for to lunch, be in the car. just yeah. during lunch. I have an hour there in between clients or in between sessions or in between Bonner or whatever it was, yeah. Russell or whatever it was at the time. I drive all the way up there to run the. Do you run. think those those kinds of things, those kinds of opportunities exist? I mean, you know, there's certainly, you know, you can work for a racing school mm-hmm. and be in the car a lot. But, yeah. but then, you know, the flip side of that is you're committing a lot of your time to being at work mm-hmm. at, at the racing school. And so you may not be able to pursue racing. Yeah. And I talked about that a little bit with, um, mm-hmm. with Robert Stout, one of my, my first guests, yeah. a guy who I think, you know, I don't know how well or if you know Robert at all, but I do a but, little bit, you know, Robert this past weekend, he did something that I think you would really approve of. He raced the MX five cup yeah. series at road America and then he finished second yeah. was on the podium and then nice. went down I don't know where the race was. I think it was in, uh, it was within driving distance of Road America, like hauled ass from the podium yep. for the Owings Live Cup race to race his, his UTV, his off-road ah, yeah. um, little side-by-side deal. Sweet. That he's got. Both are you know sponsored deals. He's yep. been chasing the money and, and finished second in the side-by-side. So he was on the podium, two different series, same yep. day. Yep. Um, you know, kind of applying the, the Craig Stanton philosophy yep. of, you know, drive, drive it all, drive mm-hmm. it as much as you can. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I love that because it just makes you so calibrated in You're you're dialed in, calibrated in nothing, nothing, you know, throws you for a loop Yeah, and you walk a, a little bit better of a step. Your, your confidence is just that tick higher. Yeah. So, so I, I guess I would t- to back up to my, my question again, do you think the, that for the, the willing person, you know, if you've got that drive that, do those opportunities do you think still exist? Or yeah, that's has, a good question. Has racing, times are different. Yeah, times are different for sure. Times are different. I mean, how would you how would you approach it? Knowing what you know now, mm-hmm. um, you know, how would you approach it today if you were trying to kind of replicate your career in today's world? I mean, is it possible? Man, I don't know because, um, you know, at the time as I was, I learned my craft as coaching in POC and PCA in California. There was a massive amount of people that were racing Porsches. Yeah. At the late 90s, you know, mid-2000s, early 2000s, before 2008, I would say. I mean, there was, uh, yeah. there was clients all over the place. Yeah. And that was, again, me of a lot of, like, contacts that not so much money. It was just, it was more like, oh, can you run the car for me here? Can you test for me here? I got a problem with it here. Can I have, can you coach for me? Can you coach for my two, you know, two friends over here so they can get up to speed? I've got two brand new Porsches over here. Can you test them for the first time? Yeah. And having this network, I mean, I was always flying back on the West Coast to do Button Willow, you know, coaching jobs or testing. I can't tell you how many cup cars I drove that were right off the boat. Hmm. Just because it was like, can you put do, a couple, do the shakedown and exactly yeah. can you put a, put a couple laps in? Can you bed the brakes? Can you make sure the transmission works and everything's up? And, or then we're going to give it to our client. Yeah. So that worked out for years and years like that. In about 2008, things took a took a big shift. What I did do as well in the early 90s, I guess, is I started doing corporate events. So mm. ride and drives. Mm-hmm. And so that that allowed me to they would fly me fly me into from a race and they'd fly me back into a race. Gotcha. And, and so so I was able to and then there was frequent flyer miles involved and all sorts of and things. And then you use those to fund your mm-hmm, mm-hmm. your races that you need to get. Yeah, I, I know how that yeah. works. Yeah, so that that worked out yeah. really well for me. Yeah, and I and mm-hmm. I learned I and that gained confidence too because I worked around a lot of pros. Mm-hmm. I worked around a lot of guys that were already established. Um, especially at a company called Proformance, it was out of Phoenix, and and every every heavy hitter, every pro that was anybody was working for them at this time, 
And so I got to, I got to learn a lot on how, how they prepped, how they showed up for a race. Instead of doing hot laps, I would get in their cars and learn what they were doing. So this, this was at the, this was a company that was putting on these ride and drive yeah, events. Yeah. So, ah, okay. Yeah. So there'd be hot laps at the end of the day, right? Right. right, right. I wouldn't, I'd, I'd give up my hot laps so I could sit in and see how they drove Johnny Unzer or Dominic Dobson or John Morton or, you know, the Dollenbacks yeah. or, I mean, it went on, I mean, this long list of people, huh. I'd want to hop in their cars and see how they did it. Gotcha. So interesting. I learned from them. Yeah. 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 I don't Fascinating. know. There's so many stories. Yeah. I mean, we jumped all over the road. I think that, um, you know, if there was one takeaway, I just, I, I saw the door opening I saw that I saw it when there was an opportunity and I just walked through. Yeah. And I think being real, I think that, um, uh, you know, being a nice guy and being eager to yeah. learn and eager to do whatever it takes. John TC talks about, you know, he's cleaning tables and he's underneath the cars with his driver's suit on and he's, I, I love every part of it. I don't, I never disliked anything. Right. Except just being around, 12, 14, 15 passionate people going in the same direction. All fighting for the same I goal. I love yeah. that. You know, when you and I, that was magic because because it was a top down. I mean, John Moore was amazing. I mean, he set yeah. the tone. Then John TC, yeah. you know, he'd get the tornado going. And then, you know, it was all headed in all one direction. A tornado of nervous energy <laughs> yeah. that somehow right? got focused into, you know, productive yeah. results. I mean, yeah. that, that was such a cool program. We could talk about that for a couple minutes if you want, too. Yeah, that was really cool. 